This is Andercast, inspiring business stories from the UCLA community without the tuition costs. Welcome to Andercast. This is your host, Parth, and today I'm super excited to have one of the movers and shakers at Anderson who has not only impacted thousands of full-time students achieve their career dreams for the past nine years, but she's also made Anderson's Career Center one of the highest-rated centers for satisfaction, according to The Economist. She's a proud recipient of Anderson's Outstanding Alumni Service Award and the Assistant Dean and Director of our powerhouse, Parker Career Management Center. I welcome Regina Ragazzi to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Parth. It's great to be here. All right, so let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about Parker. We all know the Parker Advisors. They do an amazing job. Um, but you're the Assistant Dean and the Director of Parker. What does that mean? How is that different from um, your colleagues? Right. So in, um, in this role, there's a lot that I have to do kind of to respond up to the larger management here at Anderson. So I have to do quarterly budgeting. And I spend a lot of time doing the annual budget. Like I really make sure I understand what's going into every line item. And we have a little bit more of a complex budget than some of the other offices around the school. So that's one of the things I do. There are really four channels under me. The first is education and communication. So that's the career series and it's the weekly emails, both internal and external. And then the second part of that is advising, and Chris Weber runs that right now. The third is corporate outreach, and I still run that channel. That's the one I came in and started doing. So when I first started my job, we didn't have anybody whose dedicated job was to build and maintain relationships with the companies that hire our students. And so I am still running that channel today. And then the fourth is account management, and that is the support of the corporate outreach. So when you see a company coming to campus for an event or for an interview, there's a team that's managing when they come to make sure they're not scheduled against a competitor, to make sure it's spread out appropriately, and that's what that team does. So we're managing all of that. But I am also reporting up to the board of advisors, so when they need to know something, I'm out there and I've got to be able to respond to them either with numbers or with just some anecdotal commentary about what I'm seeing in the marketplace. But I'm also interacting with a lot of other offices. So alumni, there are a lot of alumni events that we do and I have a finger on almost every one of those, our summer events or the days on the job, dinners for eight, things like that. I'm working on those all of the time, all year long. And then even development and that's the fundraising arm of Anderson. So I work with them so that they have an understanding of our biggest corporate partners, who's hiring the most students, what is our relationship like, what do we do with them, how do we leverage them in different ways. So I'm touching all of that. And I also will do things externally to represent the school. And one great example of that is I go on the road to do info sessions at the beginning of the year to get people interested in Anderson because as people are applying to business school, they're really interested in what's happening to, in their careers and what will happen. So I want to make sure that people understand what Parker is all about so that they can incorporate us into their decision-making process. That makes sense. I think there's a couple interesting points that you've said here. One, I want to focus on the employer perspective. When you do the, the outreach, what do the employers look for? What do they love about us? And what do they say in terms of how we can improve? So I think what's what's really helpful that we've been doing for a number of years with our employers is we give them data. So when we go visit them in the summer, and, and sometimes it's, it's not just the summer, we're out there visiting them otherwise, we'll show them. So if we go into Amazon, we'll show them 
where the students who are in technology have gone, what the different companies are. And it's it's practically a full page of companies for technology, but we do that across all industries. Matter of fact, we started that with investment banking. Where are the students in investment banking going? And we'll show them two years of data on full-time and on summer internships. So they find that data really helpful because it allows them to then ask questions like, what are we doing that could be done better? You know, and one of the things we'll show is what are all the events students attended done by corporations? And are you doing enough events? Do the students know you well enough? Is your message really good? So we're talking to them about that. From them, we want to understand what are you looking for? And maybe not necessarily within a specific job description, but more like what are you generally looking for these days? One of the things that we've noticed in Parker is that, you know, back when I was here at Anderson as a student back in the late 90s, you could be an all-around athlete and get into an industry, you know, with a little bit of practice, but you could generally get in. These days, we're finding that companies want you know, anywhere from 60 to 75% of what's on their job description, they want students to be able to hit the ground running. So we either have to um, find the students who have exactly that, or we have to help students tell their stories a little bit differently so that the they can tell it to the person listening to it to make the companies understand, hey, I already have some of these skill sets. Yes, I'm going to grow. I know that. We all know that. But I can hit the ground running. And that's a big part of our job is understanding what these companies are looking for so we can relay that back to students, whether it's in the career series, in workshops, or individual advising sessions, or as we work with our Anderson career team, ACT coaches. One of the things I noticed is tech is being infused a lot into every industry, yeah. whether it's banking, social impact, marketing, and some of the skills that they're looking for are really hard skills. So what changes do you envision Parker needs to adapt to, to, to this trend and make sure that the students are employed and they do have those hard skills? One of the things that I think is really important is that we can at least gather the data when we're talking to the companies. So if we can say, okay, there's a lot more data and analytics needed, it's not necessarily Parker's place to teach that. We're not necessarily like trained in that area or experts in that area. So it's our job then to bring that back to the faculty or to student services so that they can speak to the faculty about what we need to incorporate in the classroom. And I have a feeling that over the next couple of years, we're going to see some changes in the core curriculum, changes in electives that incorporates a lot more of this. So for sure, data and analytics is something we're seeing. There's still that whole fit, that good fit. But what does that mean exactly? Is it, you know, do, do we need to better understand the culture at these companies? Is that going to be important? And, and it always is important. But I would say hard skills wise, I'm not going to tell every student to go out and take a SQL course because there are plenty of people out there who have years and years of experience that you're not going to get in one course and then be able to say that you're an expert. But the question is, how do we leverage these skills that you do have? We are seeing more and more of these tech skills as a requirement. And so that also may be a message that we have to bring back to admissions. Hey, you might want to look for people who have SQL, Python, or any of these other programs on their resumes. It'll help them and help us. What other trends have you seen for MBA hiring from the past and what you expect in the future? Well, what's totally crazy is that the class of 19 had 35% of the class going into tech. Even seven, eight years ago, that was in the teens. And we have seen that crept, creep up and up 
over these past few years. So that is one of the biggest trends that we're seeing is the interest in tech. So people who may have been interested in your classical classic brand management a bunch of years ago may say, well, I am going to look at tech also because the comp is higher. I can still have a decent life balance and it's in maybe a geographic area that really interests me. So we're, we're seeing a little bit of that for certain, maybe a little bit of a decrease in finance as a whole, but on the whole, it's remained relatively steady. And how do you, how do you come back against the cyclicality of the market? We are trained as generalists in our office. So, you know, right this year in LA, entertainment's in a tough spot because there have been some big mergers that have put a few of the big studios into hiring freezes. So that's a question where we have to take a step back and work with students to say, okay, what could be a good pivot point for you right now until the market opens back up again? We have had the good fortune of being in a great economy for a while. That's also helped in finance, M&A. But if that turns a little bit and there are few people being hired, fewer people being hired as generalist bankers, are there more than being hired as restructuring people? And is that a good area for people to go into? Might that interest them? So I think for us, it's important to stay on the at the forefront of the trends in the marketplace so we can help steer students differently and again go back to the faculty and say, hey, we're we're seeing a need for this and this. Is that an area you can incorporate into your coursework and your syllabus? One of the things you had just mentioned was how you work with AAC. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that relationship and how we can improve that. I'm not even sure we would need to improve that. We are very, very happy and proud of our relationship with admissions and AAC. Our students are the biggest and best ambassadors, hands down, for bringing in following the next classes. And so I think the most important thing is to have a clear line of communication and be able to tell students what they need to know so that they can message it out properly to the um, the people interested in the school, the prospective students, but then also that we're showing a united front. And I think we just did that really, really well at A-Days over this past weekend. We worked a lot with both classes of AAC to make sure we were giving enough information again so that we could really promote Parker and career services at Anderson as one of our biggest selling points. And the students were wonderful partners in that. And we think it was very, very successful and we're excited about that. That's great to hear. That's fantastic. Now, another change that's happening is we are looking for a new dean. Um, So how do you want the new dean to engage with Parker? I always want a close relationship with any dean. I want a dean to be curious about what it is we're doing, but also see how we're doing things. Go dig into the rankings and figure out why certain things are the way they are. See, appreciate what what the students are appreciating clearly with these good scores uh, in student satisfaction. So I think a lot of questions are very important. It was interesting, a few years ago, And I was very close to the last dean. I'm very close to Al Osborne, the interim dean. So I feel really good about this. But Judy was very fair. Judy Olean was very, very fair to Parker, which was terrific. So we had a pretty free line into the board of advisors, which was her board. And Dean Olean put Brian Stockton, the former CEO of Mattel, on a project working with me so that the board of advisors could understand 
what it was Parker was doing, and that somebody with a really great background in the corporate world could put more of a corporate perspective on it. And we had a great partnership, Brian and I. We enjoyed working together, and I think he was really enlightened, understanding, getting deep into what we were doing and understanding how we work on a day-to-day basis, how we interact with students, how we interact with companies, and sort of why some of the numbers are where they are. Wow, that's interesting. There's a lot of, uh, from what I'm hearing and what I'm listening to is there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes that the students necessarily don't know about yes. all the relationships <laughs> with AAC, with the new dean uh, or with the deans, etc. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that our listeners really want to listen about is school rankings. Mm-hmm. Um, all these relationships kind of help put Anderson up. When we look at the incoming student stats and when we look at rankings, Anderson does really well. Uh, in that, in, in the sense that we do better than some of the top schools with GMAT, GPA, years of experience. Um, however, uh, you know, employment is a part of it. Um, so I'm curious to learn more about how just in time or even recruiting for some of these uh, other industries such as sports or marketing or sports or entertainment that kind of happen later. How does that impact our rating and how do you as the person in charge of Parker kind of balance that? Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to take a step back just so that you understand what goes into the rankings. So there there are very strict standards on how a school has to report their placement data. And so let me just start with that. And when a school reports any data on its students and how they've performed, they must put in information for at least 85% of the class. Because Parker has such strong relationships with its students, in good conscience, we have to report on 97 to 99% of the class because we actually know what's going on. What you can't see in rankings and I can't even see is what some of these other schools are reporting on. They could be reporting on 86% of the class. And if they're going to report on 86% of the class, it's likely the people they know are successful. So they may be losing in their denominator a bunch of people they're just not reporting on who aren't placed. So I think it's really important to understand that. When we do report numbers, placement numbers, what we're reporting is what percent of students have offers and then what percent of students have accepted offers at graduation And then we look at both of those numbers again at three months from graduation. So those are four inputs that have a lot of weight in certain of the rankings. The other piece of that is the student satisfaction, which is one of the areas where we've excelled and we're consistently hitting a very high rating. So we have a high rating in Bloomberg Business Week on that on a raw score. We have a, we're number two behind University of Florida in The Economist on that, and we're number three in Financial Times on that. So so all of that kind of comes together and and it's what we look at. Now, when you talk about just-in-time hiring, sure, that has an effect. Um, When people get hired, if they don't get hired till August or so, well, they'll still be in that second number, the three months out number, but if it takes them a while, to find the best job they can possibly get and one that makes them really happy, it may take until November, December. 
And one of the reasons why our ranking on student satisfaction is so high, we're not forcing students into roles. We are really trying to not encourage them into the classic roles like banking, consulting, even some of like the marketing and tech roles now. We want them to get the job that's right for them, that's going to allow them to have a successful foundation for the remainder of their careers. So if that means that somebody waits till November but gets the, their dream job, well, we're going to be just as happy for them than if they got a job that, you know, what, that happened in May or, or March or even the prior September after a summer internship. So there are a lot of different components to the rankings. I'm always happy to talk to people about that with the data that I have at my fingertips. But I think it's a lot more than the snapshot you'll just see when the rankings come out and all you get is one page. What about the salaries? Yeah, salaries is an interesting one because, um, you know, for example, in the Financial Times, I think we're ranked 26, but our salaries are ranked 18th. And so there are certain classic industries that will bring that up. Investment banking, consulting, but even technology now all bring that up. Investment banking and consulting classically have like they'll have a base salary of around 150, but they also have pretty much 100% of the population having a signing bonus. And these days, those signing bonuses are anywhere from, you know, 25 to 30, 35, sometimes up to 60,000. Tech these days is getting a lot more signing bonuses, a lot more conversions from a summer internship. So all of those numbers, if you're getting a higher percentage of your class in those places, that will drive up the numbers. We are a little bit more of a jack-of-all-trades school, and we've been very open to students pursuing careers in other industries. You know, we may have less than 10% in energy and real estate and, um, and entertainment for each of those. And those might take a little more time. They might have a little bit lower salary, but if that's where people want to go, that's where they should go. And that's where we want to help them get. And I can definitely see that when I speak to alumni that five or 10 years out, they're extremely happy with the career choice that they've made. It sounds like Part of that started from Parker, making sure that they have the right opportunity to move forward with. I think that since the class of maybe 2011, 2012, that's when we sort of turned around the way we we focused on students and really built more of a relationship orientation with our students. Um, since then, as those students got those jobs they wanted, they came out and they're like, hey, I want to be an Anderson champion inside my company on the other side. That has helped us a lot. So when you're seeing now like over 150 people at an Amazon or 100 people at an Amgen or even at a Disney, those are happy alums who want to give back. In some cases, they'll give back like along a classic line. So like an Amazon, they may interview for 15, 20 different job postings. And so you have a lot of different people, but it's sort of a traditional, they'll all get posted at once. Some of the entertainment industry stuff gets posted over a number of months. But if we have individuals, alumni who are really happy on the other side, that is going to make it a lot easier for us. It makes it easier for students to get informational interviews. And it makes these, these champions inside want to get the Anderson students in. So even if they don't perform well, we'll hear about it, not in a tattletale sort of way, and but more in a hey, I think you, Parker, need to focus with students on this and this because I'm not hearing enough of that. And that is super helpful to us. What can we do as alumni when we graduate to help out Parker, help out the rankings, help out the school? 
So I think one of the important things, some, some of these rankings uh, are focused on alumni perception. So it's, you may get, um, you may get interviewed two, three, five years out on your experiences while you were here, but also where you are now. So you want to be honest, but we often say to people, if you've got a gripe, don't use the rankings to try to voice that gripe because it'll get hidden. You know, it, it'll come up, it'll pop up on the uh, rankings numbers, but we won't be able to see what the actual problem is. So we in Parker have an open line of communication. If something's going on, tell us. If there are opportunities in your company, think of us first. If you're, if you're one of the pioneers into your company, then raise a hand for us inside with the human resources or the line managers who make the decision on who will get hired. It's all different ways and it depends on what company you're at, what role you're in, and what, and what role you want to play on the other side, the amount of time you have and how you can help us. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, so switching gears a little bit, one of the things you had mentioned before is how you manage the financials behind the Parker and there's a lot more to it than what we see. So can you tell me what constitutes the success of Parker and also what happens when advisors leave? How do you manage the onboarding process and make sure that the satisfaction is still there? We have a great team culture within Parker. So uh, we just this morning celebrated Mef Shebby's birthday and he was like, I have never had a birthday celebration ever in any of my jobs. I love my job, I work in the best place. So we work really hard on having a great culture inside and trying to deal with any issues as they arise. And we, and we do that as a team. We're, we really try not to have any throwing anybody under the bus, that sort of thing. We come up with solutions together. So it starts right there. We've talked a little bit about the relationship with students and how important actual relationships are. So it's not just, okay, you're going to see us in the career series and workshops, but you're not going to get to know us. We're involved in everything, the career search process for sure, but we're involved in a large part of the clubs as well. And mostly it's professional clubs because we're working with them on organizing club events like career nights and days on the job, as well as anything else that's career oriented. But we work with some of these special interest clubs. And back in my first years, I worked with the Latin American Business Association to build a Miami days on the job. And that's been going ever since. It's been super successful and we're starting to place people in Miami. So that's that's a good success story. Um, so, so there are all those relationships. We also have great relationships around the school. You can't operate in a silo in this school. We partner way too often, everywhere from admissions to alumni. So at the very front end to the very back end. And we feel like we have wonderful relationships with all the offices of the school. And I think that's the biggest, the biggest reasons why we are successful. You've changed Parker around. Not, uh, I haven't. The team has. The team has. That's true. Shared success. That's Anderson's motto. You got it. Are there any succession plans if you do leave in the next 10, 20, 30 years? Whatever that is. <laughs> 10, 20, 30 years. That's hopeful. <laughs> Pound hopeful, as I would say. Um, f well, first of all, I'll say this. If I walked out the door this afternoon, I feel like Parker could run seamlessly and would run seamlessly. And I mean that very, very sincerely. We have a team that has been built. Everyone buys in to what we're doing. They buy into this relationship orientation. And each of the people in our office has their own relationships around the school. So I do not feel like there's, there's an issue at all there. 
it's not that easy to hire. Our students are very demanding in what they're seeing in advisors. So they have very certain specifications that they want to see. One of the things they'd love to see is people who understand them, which is, you know, often alumni. And we've done a great job in hiring alumni. Anderson on the whole, I think has, I don't remember what the exact number is. Like maybe it's like in the up to 50 people in the school are alums. But, um, but it's not that easy. So we can't expect somebody. So I just talked about the comp and banking, consulting, and, um, you know, and tech. It's hard to expect people, especially people who are maybe five, 10 years out of the perfect amount of experience to be a great advisor, to cut their compensation in half or sometimes more. So you really got to get somebody who understands what it means to be in here but also is willing to take a pay cut. And by the way, by understand what it means to be in here, I've had people reach out if I go out to the alumni community about an open posting they have. And I specifically say, we need people who are full-time. And they're like, oh, I'd love to do this part-time. And I think to myself, if you do this part-time, it's going to fall squarely in my personal lap, especially when I'm looking for a finance advisor. I need someone who's dedicated and committed, not doing this for like 15 minutes. And the other thing is, I think people don't understand the whole one-to-many concept. So we get a lot of people who apply. They're like, I've I've mentored people and I've been really successful. And we're like, how many people have you mentored in a year? Well, like four or five. And I'm like, how about 120 at a time? And they're like, <clears throat> you know. And so there is a learning curve. And we think it takes about a year for people to really understand, number one, how the cycle runs and, and students uh, and the emotional roller coaster throughout that cycle. And there's a bunch of us in the office who ride that emotional roller coaster with the students, and I am one of them. So when you guys are all exhausted, believe me, so am I, and so are some of us. So so there's that, but it's it's not that easy because we're looking for people who have very specific experience that gives them creds, but it has to be broad enough so that it could apply to 60, 70, 80 people at a time. I love the personal attention. Uh, I'm one of those students, and I think what's amazing about it is the advisors know me personally. They know what I've been through, and they know my story. So I really appreciate what you've done and, and how you hire and how you train. Well, we appreciate all of you guys, too, really. Uh, so switching gears again, one of the things that I've always wanted to do is every time I walk into your office, I get grilled in mock interviews going back to the tough love. I am not that hard. <laughs> So today's my chance to interview okay. you and get to know you and put you in the hot seat. You ready? Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions, uh, just like an interview. So many of my classmates know you as the advisor who gives tough love. Why is that? The tough love really isn't about tough love. It's about trying to drive towards success. I like it when people tell me that mine is the toughest interview they've had, because if I can tee them up to be ready for something really, really difficult in the actual interview setting, and then it's a lot easier, and then they hit a grand slam, that's a win for all of us. It works. I've been on the other <laughs> side of the table, and it works. So why Anderson? It's important to keep in mind that I am an Anderson alum. So when I was looking at business schools, I was actually focused pretty much east of the Mississippi because I'm from New York, right? So uh, my dad was legacy at one of the New York business schools. And so I ended up only applying to Anderson and that other business school in the north end of Manhattan. Got into them both. And I think the assumption around me in, in all around New York at that time was, of course, you're going to go to that other school. And people would say to me, 
sure, go to Anderson if you want to be in L.A. for the rest of your life. And it was, so I, I took a step back and I said, you know, I'm looking at these brochures and I'm seeing alums from all around the world doing so many different things. And I said to myself, maybe it's time for me to not have such a New York-centric viewpoint. Maybe it's time for me to expand my own horizons and get out of my own comfort zone and that's what I did. And, and there were so many things. I, I have a great story that I like to tell about how I ended up choosing Anderson and getting interested in it, but we don't have enough time. Um, but I'm glad to tell that story anytime. But it was, a, it was the same thing that people say when they come out here. It was about the people. It was about the feeling I got when I came here to visit. So that was why Anderson in the first place. I've always been somebody who's very been very involved as an alum in my undergrad at Colgate as well. So when I went up to the Bay Area um, after school and I was working at Bank of America, I joined the alumni board up there. And within a year, I became president of that. And that is only, it wasn't because I was great. It was because there were no other suckers who were, <laughs> who were like, who were ready to take that job. So I did that. And I had a chance to get to know a lot of people. So people who had been acquaintances of mine at Anderson became really solid lifelong friends. And that is the spirit of Anderson. We even had a San Francisco floor hockey team, an Anderson floor hockey wow. team. I'm not going to say we were awesome, but we were pretty darn okay. We had a lot of fun. So there was that. Then I went back to New York. And by the way, this is a great story about how if you want to be in L.A. for the rest of your life, right, right there, right after school. I was in San Francisco. Then I was able to go back to New York after three years. And I was still involved as an alumni. I became the chair of the chapter presidents in on the alumni board. And then eventually I became president of the whole alumni board, which is how I got to know Dean Olean in the first place. And she got to see the kind of work and my dedication to Anderson on, on that board. And that's one of the reasons why she reached out to me when this opportunity arose to come back to Anderson. Now, I, just, just so you know, I was in the middle of an entrepreneurial venture when Judy called me about coming back. And that entrepreneurial venture was an executive recruiting firm focused on financial services that I launched December 2008. Maybe the suckiest month in history to try to do that. Yeah. So that was a big, fat failure. But it was a great learning experience. And I knew if I came back to Anderson, so many of the things I had done in banking, I had done in executive recruiting, and then I was doing as an alum would come into play. So that's why it was such a perfect opportunity to come back here. And I was able to leverage all of those experiences on day one. So that's why I came back. And you've stuck around in L.A. for some time. I have. Do you have ambitions of going back to New York? Oh, who knows? You know, I, I just keep I, I keep triangulating. Who knows? Maybe I just need to retire to Florida now <laughs> or somewhere else exotic. Tell me about your most impactful success story. I have a few that come to mind I, don't, I probably don't want to lean on just one story, but I, I would want to lean on a few things. So I'll never forget the Saturday morning when Chris Weber like emailed all of us and said, hey, we just got up to number three on student satisfaction in The Economist and we just jumped up. And that was a moment... And all of a sudden, people who never emailed on the weekends from Parker were emailing, oh, my God, this is amazing. Oh, my God, it's all this hard work. And that's when I knew that all the work we had started to put to put in place in late 2010, early 2011 had sort of come to fruition. Like, it takes a long time to affect a turnaround. And 
So that was a really great moment for us. Another great moment was when Anderson was able to get back into the consortium program. And our first year, we had no idea what we were doing. We had like six students in that program and it was just really hard. And we had to learn fast about what we needed to do to improve that. And the next year and the year after that, we came out of the gate like roaring and it became a story about how everybody wanted to be Anderson. Like people who were like rooming with people from other schools were like, they're like, my roommate is wants to hang out with the Anderson people instead of his or her own classmates. And that was when we knew that the culture was really coming through and people were seeing that as well. So there's that. You know, the student success, the success uh, in student perception is our our biggest point of pride, but also the individual success stories. I mean, you walk around Parker and people have thank you notes, you know, stacked nose high about the effect that they've had on individuals' lives. And in some cases, it's people who are doing a total career change. In some cases, it's people who wanted to be an entrepreneur and we were guiding them. In some cases, it's people were their first generation college students, much less an MBA, and now they're in jobs where they're paid three times as much as they were when they came into school and they're now the pride of their family. Like Every one of these stories counts and it makes us really glad for what we do, every one of us. What are your ambitions? You've accomplished a lot in the past nine years at Anderson. What are your ambitions? I think that we have a real problem. I don't know if it's just an American problem. I don't because I don't know enough about other societies and cultures that when it comes to career changes. What I've experienced in this role is less about what's happening with the MBA students. That is obvious and 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 I can deal with that. What's harder is now being in my 40s and seeing friends of mine lose jobs unexpectedly and have a really tough time getting back. I've seen people where it's taken them a good two years and that's hard. It's hard to watch. I think one of the problems is when I was going through business school back in the 90s and certainly before that, career services wasn't what it is today. There wasn't an understanding of this actual process. And what I say to people, the process is the same whether you're 21 coming out of undergrad, 29 coming out of business school, 45, you know, being whacked behind the knees. You have to do the same things. You've got to put your resume in maybe a little bit of a different format, but you can't have these passive verbs and things like that. And I think there are a lot of people out there struggling really hard with that. And so while I don't want to say that I want to do that, like from an alumni career services perspective, I'd like to help share my knowledge in the greater society for people so that they can be successful wherever they are in their careers in whatever they're trying to do. So I think that's a huge challenge. I don't think it's one that people actually have identified, but because I'm in it, I see it all the time. And I think it's going to be a problem, especially if we have a downturn in the economy. Some of these expensive high titled people will be the first to go. There's going to be a real struggle getting back in. That's ambitious to help them. We've got to figure out how. <laughs> yeah. The last question I have for you, what do you like to do outside of work? Well, it's so great to be in LA because there are so many things you can do, right? One of the things I love to do, what I, which I think is so neat, is, is just be able to hop in my car and go 15 minutes and go hiking for a few hours 
get up in a really steep hill and be out looking over the Pacific in this just glorious, gorgeous vista. I love that that's right in our backyards. I also, I love having people over. So I love when friends and, and family come visit me or I love having friends over for dinner. So one of my favorite things to do, you'll see me every week at the farmer's market in Brentwood at like 7.30 in the morning, 8 in the morning. And I love getting all this great fresh food and then coming home and having awesome wines, like which I get because I have some winemaker friends uh, and just having great dinners. I just had an awesome Easter party and I had my mom and my stepfather there and they were shocked at how much fun they had when we were singing at the top of our lungs at 11 p.m. It was all really good. So I really, really appreciate my family and friends and the Anderson community here. And I sort of love to bring that together all together in a different way. That's awesome. So let's switch over to the case portion of the interview. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Regina, you've made an incredible impact on me and many of my classmates, both first years and second years. Uh, You made many of our dreams come true, and you continue to elevate Anderson's branding and rankings. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for saying that. It is definitely the Parker team. It's not just me, but I really appreciate this opportunity, Parth. Thank you very, very much. Thanks for listening. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests, shoot us an email at andrewcastla at gmail.com.